Jesus is the lens through which we have got to look at life for it to make any kind of meaningful sense. So we are going to continue uh, in Ecclesiastes. So from Hebrews, you want to go back quite a while in your Bible to Ecclesiastes. And this morning we're in chapter 8. And there was a Greek philosopher, Aristotle, maybe you've heard the name before. And he said that the more you know, the more you realize that you don't know. And today, in Ecclesiastes chapter 8, Solomon is going to talk about some things that we don't No. And for lots of people, and maybe you're one of them, lots of people really struggle to admit that there are things that they don't know. Maybe that's you. So if you're walking around feeling like you know a lot about everything, you know know everything about everything. Actually, all that shows uh, is how much you don't know. For me, uh, you know, when I started seminary, when I started learning about our faith and God's word on a, on, a, on, a, on a deeper level, I was constantly thinking, you know, wow, I don't know half as much as I thought I did. And that was a really, really humbling thing. But then somebody walks through it with you and shows you where to find the answers, tells you some of the answers and shows you how to discover the answers for yourself as well. It's a very, very humbling thing. And today then Solomon's going to talk about some things that we don't know. And we're going to see where we go to find out the things that we don't know. As we've just talked about, life is changing so frequently at the moment, isn't it? Week to week, sometimes day by day, like yesterday. Big changes as well for lots of us. And there's plenty that we don't know about what is going on. So Ecclesiastes chapter 8 as Emmanuelli read a part of for us this morning, is another great passage that is so relevant to our lives today. So we're going to walk through it. We're going to see what Solomon says. We're going to see what he means. And then where it takes us. So things that we don't know. In verse 1, he gets it right out there. Let's get it out there now for all of us. Things that we don't know, we don't know the solutions to all of our problems. Let's get that out there straight away. We are not the answer to the problems and the questions that we've got in our lives. And Solomon, what he's saying is that when you see life for what it is, he says it changes everything about you. He says, who knows the solution to a problem? A person's wisdom brightens his appearance and softens his harsh countenance. So when you see life, For what it really is, Solomon says, when you accept that you don't know all the answers to your own problems, it changes you because you realize that you don't know everything and it takes a burden off you. You feel free. A person's wisdom, uh, knowing that you don't know, brightens his appearance. When you accept that we are not the answer to all the questions in the world and we don't need to be, It softens your appearance. It brightens your countenance, he says. So straight away, quite a big one, stuff stuff that we don't know. Number one, the answer to all of life's problems. And then he says, we also don't know what the sovereign ruler is doing. You know, what the king, what the ruler is doing. So he says, look, simply, you've just got to obey his commands. You've got to behave 
appropriately relevant to, to the ruler's status. Don't rush in and out of his presence, but don't linger around being lazy. Just behave appropriately given the status of the sovereign, he's saying, because they can do what they like. It says in verse 4, surely the king's authority is absolute. No one can say to him, what are you doing? So your job, he says, is just to obey him. And he says, wise people know to do this. So we don't know the solutions to all of our own problems, nor do we know the plans and the heart of the ruler, of the sovereign who is in control. Then, from this under the sun, earthly perspective, Solomon says, we don't know the future either. <laughs> We've been talking for five minutes and there's nothing much that we do know. Uh, in verse 7 he says, surely no one knows the future. No one can tell another person what will happen. Just like no one can restrain the wind, no one has the power over the day of their death. And then he says, just like no one can be discharged during battle, wickedness cannot rescue the wicked. So we don't know what our future under the sun is going to look like. And taking things into our own hands and really doubling down and trying to manipulate and control our own future doesn't work. He says, wickedness cannot rescue uh, the wicked. So working really hard to try and control your own future doesn't actually work. So we don't know the answers to all our own questions. We don't know what the sovereign ruler is doing. We don't know what our future holds from this under the sun perspective. And then he says, look, there are so many difficult things in life. And there are lots of difficult truths that we need to accept. There are some enigmas, he says. He's not talking about World War II coding machines. There are some enigmas in life, he says. There are some mysterious and very difficult things that need to be understood. And he says, look, thinking about everything that I've seen, there are some enigmas and really difficult things in life that I just don't understand, I don't know. He says, sometimes one person dominates another to their harm. So people don't treat each other well, simply. And then he says, not only that, in verse 10, not only that, I've seen the wicked approaching and entering the temple, and as they left the holy temple, they boasted in the city that they had done so. This also is an enigma. This is mysterious. This is difficult to understand. So he says, people are, you know, sometimes unjust, unloving, unkind towards one another. There's oppression. There is behavior that doesn't communicate the truth that we are all made in God's image and equally loved. And he doesn't know why people treat each other like that. He says, not only that, as if that's not bad enough. He says, then they go to the temple and they boast about that they've been and ticked their religious box for the day, for the week. He says, this is empty. We've talked about this before. This is empty. This is hollow. This is box-ticking, rule-following religion being done in a life that, through its actions, communicates something different. He says, this is an enigma. This doesn't make sense. I don't know why people do this. People behave appallingly, but then boast about how religious they are. 
They treat people so badly, but then they treat God so indifferently with so much irreverence. He says it's an enigma. I just don't understand it. And he says there's another difficult truth to accept. In verse 14, he says, here is another enigma that occurs on earth. Sometimes there are righteous people who get what the wicked deserve. And sometimes there are wicked people who get what the righteous deserve. This is also an enigma. So very, very simply then, he's saying, look, good things happen to bad people. And bad things happen to good people. And he says he doesn't understand this. He doesn't understand why life under the sun, looking at life from this under the sun perspective, he doesn't understand why life is not fair. And so he makes a recommendation based on what he's observed. He says, all right, I, I, we don't know everything about everything ever in our earthly lives. So he says, all right, I recommend the enjoyment of life. For there's nothing better on earth for a person to do except to eat, drink, and enjoy life. So joy will accompany him in his toil during the days of his life that God gives him on earth. Now, if you were just to read that, Ecclesiastes 8.15, totally out of context, out of a chapter, out of a book, it would recommend something to you completely different. If you forget the lens that he is looking at life through, you would take that and think, whoa, I definitely want a bit of this life. There's nothing better for us to do than eat, drink, and enjoy ourselves, and God will give us joy. But he says when he's, when he's really thought, that, when he's thought about it all, I've tried to find wisdom. I've observed so many activities on earth, he says. And even though this was a really difficult task and it interfered with my sleep, he says, he's discerned, he's found out loads of stuff that God has done. And then he says this, nobody really gets it, he says. Nobody really comprehends what happens on earth, despite the massive efforts it's taken him. He says, nobody really gets it. Nobody grasps it. And he says, even if people claim that they have, they haven't. This was the wisest person that had ever lived saying, look, there's some stuff that you just never, ever, ever, ever in your own strength and this under the sun life, you're never going to get it. Even if people pretend that they have, they don't, they haven't. And with all this meaninglessness, all this unknowable stuff in his life, all he could counsel people to do from that perspective was just to enjoy themselves. Lots of difficult stuff in your life, but you're never really going to understand it all, so just enjoy yourself. Sounds very much like a song from 1988 called Don't Worry, Be Happy. It says, in every life, we have some trouble, but when you worry, you make it double. Don't worry. Be happy. That's exactly what Solomon's saying here, isn't it? Here's some stuff that you are never going to know. You're never going to solve your own problems. You're never going to know the mind and the will and the heart of the sovereign, and therefore, what's, what's going on in your world. And life, from this perspective, is really unfair. So do you know what? Just go with it and try and enjoy it. In every life, there's going to be trouble, but when you worry, you make it double. So don't worry, just be happy. Solomon could have written that song, couldn't he? 
for some people, that's where it all ends, isn't it? There's so much of life that you're never going to really understand. So just try and make the best of it and just leave it alone. But don't you want more from life than that? Don't you want a life of more than just, wow, well, I don't really understand. I'm never going to get it. It's all just some big puzzle. I've got no peace about it, but I'm just going to try and enjoy it anyway. Don't you want more from life than that? Don't you want more from life than a superficial, surface-level existence? Like a leaf in a stream just being taken along. Don't you want more from life than that? God wants more for you from life than that. Life is too short and you are too valuable just to float along like a leaf in a stream, trying to enjoy whatever comes your way. God wants more for you from life than that. But for some people, that's where it all ends. But there's more to life than that. So where do we go from here then? Because from this perspective, from this under the sun, earthly, fleshly perspective, it's pretty bleak. There's loads of stuff that you're never going to know. Accept that and just try and enjoy it. Don't you want more from life than that? Where do we go from here then? Well, Scripture tells us that the God who made heaven and earth is like the king of verse 4. Sovereign, not like us, absolute authority. And we've just sung, we just worshipped this truth together, didn't we? The, the first song that we sang, holy, there is no one like you, there is none beside you. We worship God because he's like that. And so Solomon's thinking on that would be, all right, there's this great, sovereign, holy, all-powerful creator God but you're never going to know what he's doing and therefore you're never going to know how you fit into his creation. Can you imagine living like that? You acknowledge the truth that there's a sovereign, powerful creator God, but you're never going to know what he's up to. You're never going to know his mind or his heart or his will. You would you know, reasonably assume that he's got some plans for you, like Solomon does, but you're never going to know them. That's essentially what Solomon's saying, isn't it? There is a God, but you're never going to know enough about him. You're never going to be in a, a, a knowable, personal relationship with him. And therefore, you're never going to know why he's doing stuff. You're never going to know what he's doing. You're never going to know his mind or his heart or his will. You know, it's like I beheld all the work of God. But you can't really find out what it's all about you're never going to know so yeah there's a god but you're never going to know what he's doing so just enjoy your life anyway can you imagine living like that how frustrating that would be acknowledging the truth that there is a big sovereign all-powerful creator god with plans for your life but you don't know what they are you don't know how you fit into his world you do can you imagine living like that surely you want more from life than that so how do we know then how do we find out what's happening in our world right now why the world is like this what direction our lives are going how do we make sense of everything around us 
if we acknowledge that there is a creator God who is all-powerful and sovereign, but we can't know him, wow, where do we look for these answers? Well, in your Bibles, turn forward with me a few books. We're going to go past some of the big names in the Bible. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel. And then we're going to get into a few books called the Minor Prophets, because they're a little bit shorter. And let's go to Amos. It's just after the book of Joel. And if you get to Obadiah or Jonah, you've gone too far. If you need to use the index at the front of your Bible, go ahead. So we're in Amos, chapter 3, Amos chapter 3. And at the start of 2013, uh, some of you might know, I was living in Essen in Germany. And as is common in lots of European cities, there is a central train station. Uh, in Germany, it's a Hauptbahnhof. Uh, in France, it's a gas central, you know what I mean? And all the main trains coming into the city would go there. So from Essen, I could go around the region. I could travel to Dusseldorf or Dortmund or Köln or even further afield. I could go to Brussels or Paris from this central train station. And as well as these big, major things that happened there, there were also the smaller trains that went to different cities in the region. And there was also the U-Bahn that stopped every couple of hundred meters around town. And this was how the city was connected. This was so central to the city and the life of the city. And it made sense of where this city was and how it related to everything around it. And in Amos chapter 3, we read about a very central event to God's people. So Amos chapter 3, read it with me. Listen, you Israelites, to this message that the Lord is proclaiming against you. This message is for the entire clan that I brought up from the land of Egypt. I have chosen you alone from all the clans of the earth. Therefore, I will punish you for all your sins. Do two walk together without having met? Does a lion roar in the woods if he has not cornered his prey? Does a young lion bellow from his den if he has not caught something? Does a bird swoop down into a trap on the ground if there is no bait? Does a trap spring up from the ground unless it has surely caught something? If the alarm sounds in a city, do people not fear? If disaster overtakes a city, is the Lord not responsible? Certainly, the sovereign Lord does nothing without first revealing his plans to his servants, the prophets. So Amos, speaking God's word to God's people, is saying, look, it was the, the, the exodus, was that central point which made sense of everything else in your lives. It showed God's people that God had a plan for their lives, that he was in control, that things happen when and how he says, he declares and decides and then as a result of seeing him at work in the Exodus and hearing from him through his word, they knew that he was a God that could be trusted, known, served, feared, loved because of the Exodus. From that point forwards, their lives had this point, this central point through which everything flowed. So because I brought you up out of the land of Egypt, this is how you're now going to relate to one another because I've brought you up from the land of Egypt, this is how you should appropriately worship. These are the things you should do 
because I've brought you up from the land of Egypt. And as Amos is pointing Israel back to the Exodus for their answers, for their solutions, to know the mind and the will and the word of their sovereign, we now, you and me now, need to be looking back to the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus and into his word to find the answers to the questions that we've got. How do we know why things are happening in our lives right now? Why is the world like this? What's going on? Why are these things happening to me? Where do we get the answers to these questions? It's by looking at the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus and his word to us. You know, Amos wrote that certainly the sovereign Lord does nothing without first revealing his plans to his servants, the prophets. And after the resurrection of Jesus, we read in Hebrews that yes, God spoke long ago in various portions and in various ways to our ancestors through the prophets. In these last days, he has spoken to us in a son whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom, we, uh, through whom he created the world. So for the fullest and most complete revelation of who God is, what he is like, his mind, his will, his heart towards you and your life. And therefore, for the answers to the questions that you've got about your life right now, the direction things that are going, we must look to the word of God and the word become flesh, Jesus. Jesus is now where we look to see what God has done, is doing and will do. And therefore, Jesus is where we look to make sense of the world around us. We see how he interacted with a fallen and broken world. We see what he says about, about us, about our lives, about our futures. We see how he reacted to the vast and varied circumstances that we face in our lives, deaths, disappointments, unmet expectations, betrayal and criticisms, illness, poverty, injustice, prejudice. We could go on and on and on. Yes, God is sovereign and holy and separate and distinct and so unlike you and me. That as Solomon says, we are never going to fully comprehend what's going on around us. Even if we claim it, we <laughs> even if we pretend that we don't, Solomon says. Even if you're super duper wise and you think you've got a handle on it, you haven't. But Jesus has. And he lived here. He breathed and he walked and he spoke and he taught and he ministered among us. He knows what you are working through right now. He knows how you feel right now. He knows what you're thinking. He knows the decisions that you need to make. Very, very simply, Jesus knows. You don't know everything about everything. You don't know the solutions to your own problems. We, there is so much that we don't know. But Jesus does. 
And as we said at the start, he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So your life is changing. He is not. You don't know so much about your life at the moment, but he does. As God's people been spoken to by Amos, we're encouraged to look back to the Exodus, to see what God is like, to see his, his mind and his heart and his will towards his people. For you and me, it has to be Jesus that we look back to. The answers you need, the decisions that you're making, the questions that you have, the struggles, the battles, the disappointments that you're experiencing, take them all to Jesus. He is the revelation of all that God has done, is doing, and will do. It's not in our own strength. It's not in, by our own wisdom that we make sense of the world around us. We never, ever will, Solomon tells us. It is through Jesus alone that we make sense of the world around us. Everything that's happening for us or to us. Jesus is the lens through which we have got to look at life for it to make any kind of meaningful sense. Without him, it never will. You can try. You can try so hard. But life will never make sense. Life will never be as clear for you as when you look at it through a Christ-focused, Jesus-shaped lens. Spend time with him for the answers that you need. Pray. Read his word. Look at his life, his actions, his reactions. Pray some more. Spend time with his people. Read his word some more. And pray some more. The answers that you need are there. The decisions that you need to make will be most clearest when looked at through a Jesus lens on life. The Solomon says we're never really going to know. We don't want to live like that. We want more from life than that. We do want to know. So where do we go to find the things that we don't know? It has to be Jesus. It's through Jesus alone that we can make sense of everything that is happening around us or for us or to us. So the answers that you need, the decisions that you need to make, the feelings that you've got, it's all going to be clearest when looked at with Jesus.